Syria Ah fans everywhere. From our nation's capital, this is Cool of America. Welcome back, Curve Americans and Podcast Paisani. I'm Chris, and I'm joined with Tad, and we have a very special podcast interview for you. We're joined by Major League Baseball Hall of Famer, the greatest hitting catcher of all time, and now proud owner of AC Reggiana, a team he is going to make more famous than the team's namesake cheese you put on your pasta, Mr. <laughs> Mike Piazza. Mike, thanks uh, for joining us Ciao. today. Ciao, guys. Buona sera. Buona sera. So Mike, Are we going to do this in a time? <laughs> Siamo molto, sono molto contento di essere qui a parlare con, con loro. Uh, questo è molto importante. Io sono molto contento di uh, parlare italiano e uh, calcio di Stati Uniti. So, auguri e uh, grazie ancora. Anche per noi, carissimo. Vi ringrazio okay. per tutto. Bravi, tu parli bene. <laughs> tu parli bene. <laughs> Good to speak with you guys. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. So, so Mike, our first question is hard-hitting. Do you guys call it Parmesan cheese, or is it just Reggiana cheese in the Piazza household? Now? No, 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 no. Well, <laughs> you know, that's a huge sore spot in my town of Reggio Emilia because of the huge rivalry right. between Parma and, uh, and, and Reggio Emilia. Um, there's, a, there's a story. They told me the story that when the doc... Uh, when they were sort of coming up with the name with the for the wheel cheese, the very famous cheese, which we call Reggiano, the actual name is Parmigiano Reggiano. Um, they said the guy from Parma got to Rome first, and so <laughs> because of that, they named it Parmigiano Reggiano. But if you're from Reggio Emilia, uh, I dare to call it Parmigiano in Reggio Emilia. So I probably won't come back very healthy. So. Um, Needless to say, um, there's a huge rivalry between our two towns, uh, and um, even though it's called the Parmesano Reggiano, um, that's more or less the doc name of the cheese, so we'll stay with that. <laughs> Very good. All right. Um, well, Mike, we met you a year ago at the uh, Italian-American event here in D.C. You now have a full season under your belt as an Italian soccer mm -hmm. team owner. Since purchasing the team last summer, just how are you feeling a, a year in your ownership? Um, I'm feeling somewhat um, uh, excited, but also very, um, I learned a lot. You know, they say when you buy any business, whether it's a, a gelato stand or, or uh, a bar or a restaurant or anything, uh, the first year is the hardest because you don't know a lot about that particular business. And I can honestly say for me, that was the case. But I will say that um, the good part is, Finding the very, very good people in your company that absolutely love that team. And we're very blessed to have uh, three or four people in our, in our organization that, um, that are amazing. I mean, my, my office manager is a, name, uh, a guy by the name of Marco Bertolini. And, uh, you know, I'm, I will say we, we lost a very, very difficult uh, playoff game against Alessandra in the quarterfinal, in the semifinals in Florence last year. And, when we were going downstairs to do the media after the game, he was in tears. And I said, uh, Marco, I said, you know, come on. I, I know you're upset, but we're, we're going to be okay. And he says, you don't understand. My, my great-grandfather was a Regina fan. My grandfather was a Regina fan. My father was a Regina fan. He goes, I, I love the team. And 
it's amazing to see you hear about fans that love their team, but in Italy, these these lines, these bloodlines go extremely deep, and they're very passionate. And we're very blessed to have an amazing, amazing fan base in Reggiana and people in the team that really love the team. And um, so, the rewarding part is finding that. The unrewarding part is finding people that. <laughs> don't really necessarily on the same page or not really working in the best interest of the of the team but that's part of any business and and fortunately now I feel like we have a good grasp on the, on the um, on the business model well you're not the only North American owner in Italy and you know we're in the business of growing Italian soccer in the United States something you know and with all these North American owners in Italy it's something that you know we at Curve America are thrilled about you know, we have Joey Saputo of Bologna yeah. and the Montreal Impact, Joe Tacopina at Venezia, and obviously Roma's Jimmy Palotta. You know, yeah. being a foreign owner in Italy, you know, it must have its challenges. But I, I got to know, is there like a secret society of North American Italian soccer team owners, you know, that meets? Uh, are you guys trading war stories about your experiences uh, well, with, with ownership in Italy? It's interesting. I mean, there is a sort of a fraternity, yes. Um but there's also a competition. I mean, Joe was in my division last year in Group B, and he ended up winning the division, and, and he beat. We tied them the first game. We played them in Venice. We played a very good team. And then the second uh, game at home, our home, he beat us 3-1, uh, to one, uh, or 3 to nothing, I should say, to get it right. I'm sure you correct me. But um, <laughs> he ended up doing very well. Um, and, you know, you mentioned that experience thing. I mean, let's not forget this was my first year as an owner, and obviously Joe was with uh, Jim Pelota a little bit in Rome, and then he went with Joey Saputo in Bologna, and then he went out and did his own thing with Venice. So he knew the landscape a lot better than me, and that experience did come through. And But I told him, I said, look, I'm a fast learner, and, and this year, obviously, we, we reset the uh, our team a little bit with some different personnel, and we feel we're better suited now to go up or at least make a huge attempt to go up. So... Um, but, you know, with that said, it's still not easy in Serie B. I mean, Serie B is a very, very competitive league. And uh, I think Joe's going to be okay because, again, as I said, he has the experience factor. But, yeah, I mean, I, I had a nice call with Joey a couple of times. Um, I had a great call with non-American owners, with uh, Gino Pozzo, who owns Udinese. And he made clear to me that he wants to help our, our project, uh, you know, maybe in the future give us some players on loan. I met with... Um, with um, other teams that want to help us as well. It's about relationships. Uh, and, uh, you know, I met with Atalanta. They're playing their uh, Euro League games this year in Reggio Emilia because their stadium is not, not up to, uh, you know, FIFA standards or, or UEFA standards as far as the, the, the uh, infrastructure. So they have to play their games in Stadio Maipé. So, um, you know, they, they've reached out and they wanted to help us as well. But, but for us... I really don't feel in the future makes sense. I mean, it really comes down to winning. Uh, you know, winning gets respect, especially in Europe. So we, we have to eventually get to Serie B. I mean, that's our objective, and we're not shy about that. Tears. I'm actually really excited that Mike's going to get to Baila Como El Papu uh, <laughs> in his home stadium when Atalanta comes there. You've seen Papu Gomez's dance? Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> they. Uh, I'll tell you, Atalanta is one of the great success stories of Italy in the last few years. I mean, they've made an incredible amount of money selling players to other teams, and obviously their first year in Europa League in a while. And so, um, and Bergamo is a beautiful city. I mean, it's 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 a beautiful city, and and the stadium is very historic. Uh, so you could tell the owner there. I met him. He's a very nice gentleman. 
he came down to the game a few months ago in uh, in Red Jamilia. They played uh, Sassuolo, and they had a great year. So yeah, I mean it's uh, it's it's impressive what they're doing. And so as I said, they have to play their Europa League games in Red Jamilia, um, which is kind of an away game for them. But um, yeah, I mean you know I'm bullish on Serie. I'm bullish on Italian soccer. I think my general idea coming into the into the country was that the quality is good. But obviously the English and the Germans and even to a lesser extent the Spanish and the French um, do it a lot better on the business side. And I think um, eventually Syria, as we know it, will have to change. Uh, and it will filter down to the lower leagues as well because the product is good, but I, I'm, I'm not big on the business model. I think there's a lot of uh, inconsistencies as the way teams are sort of – there's Juve and Inter and Milan and Roma and the, the, the top of the food chain, but a lot of other teams that come up and down are, are, are kind of lost in the shuffle, and, and maybe some of them deserve it and maybe some of them don't. But um, I, I see the, the future is bright for Italian soccer because I think ultimately it comes down to the product, and the product is great. With that in mind, Mike, uh, you know, of the American owners you mentioned there, you got Serie A covered, Serie B, and Serie C. We saw recently that Serie C is, is renamed, right? Uh, it was Liga Pro last year in your first year. Do you feel yes. that the, the renaming of Serie C is a beneficial step for, for marketing, for, for promoting the Italian calcio? And, and if so, were you involved in that process? I was. I, I met with the, uh, the president of the league a couple of times. Um, they're based in, in, in Firenze and Florence. Uh, and yeah, it went from, it used to be uh, Serie C 1 and 2. And then it was Serie C, and then Lega Pro, and then, like, as you said, now back to Serie C, Lega Pro. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I really think there's a lot of great things about Serie C, but I think there's some things that I'll leave a lot to be desired. Um, but with that said, um, there's some really amazing clubs that have great tradition there, and I think there's value there. Uh, I'm trying to petition the league a little bit to get a little bit more sort of organized is the way these teams are sort of chartered and the way they're promoted. Um, and, and there needs to be a lot of work in that regard. But um, with that said, uh, we have some amazing games. I mean, you'll see some great games th this year, obviously. You know, we played Modena last year. It was always a great rivalry. As I said, we'll play teams that haven't been in Lega Pro Serie Chief for a while, like Ravenna, like um, Triestina. Um, Ferrapi Solo is a beautiful city up on uh, Lago di Garda. So, um, you know, we play Teramo down in, in uh, Marche. We'll play San Benetese, which is in um, Porto Santo Stefano, or excuse me, Porto San Giorgio area. And um, so, you know, there's some really amazing traditions there. And I think there's a lot of value, but still it's tough because that, that league is a slug. It's a very difficult, it's a very difficult league to get out of. And that's our goal. Well, let's focus on your team a little bit, and let's talk about your players. You know, let's say a Curve American walks into the Reggiana store, and you know he's got to buy a jersey. What players from La Granata are you know are going to be the top sellers? Well, I mean, we have, as I said, we mentioned uh, a couple of players for us. Uh, one of them was uh, uh, this guy. His name is Cesarini, and they call him Mago, which means the magician. And uh, he's a guy that we got from a team called Pavia. We actually signed him when he was hurt. 
and um, we, we took him on. Uh, he's from Spetsy area. Um, he really, really played well for us last year. I can't tell you how impressed I was with this with, with his play. I mean, he ended up, I think, in the regular season had like eight, eight goals and then actually um, came on in the playoffs and had like six goals in the playoffs. So he's, in a, uh, he's a very good player. Another one is called Cardini. Um, we have this other uh, midfielder. His name is Gail Genevier, who was in, uh, played in various teams uh, for many years in, in Serie A, Serie B, Serie C. He's French, um, and I like him a lot because he speaks English. He's my captain, <laughs> so he helps me out a lot. Um, he's a great guy, um, and, he, and again, he's helping us with the coach. Our coach is a guy by the name of Leo Menachini, who coached with Salernitano who um, actually, uh, Salerno is, no one really knows, is the second team of Lotito, who owns Lazio. So he actually uses that team as a, as a, as a minor league team, more or less. But, um, you know, we, we, we have some very good players. I mean, we picked up this goalie, a guy by the name of Davide Fakin, who was in Venice last year. He won the championship with Venezia. Um, he's an amazing player. We have an amazing defender named Alessandro Spano who did really well. We had this guy, Paolo Rozio, who was hurt last year, and um, we expect a big year out of him. Um, we have a guy on loan from uh, Kevo. His name is uh, Yusofa Bob. Uh, he's an African guy. I think he's from Ghana. Um, so, again, you know, we have some interesting players. I mean, Alessandro Cesarini, I think, is the guy that right now um, is more or less our best player. We picked up a guy named Christian Altenaire who was in Padua last year. He had 18 goals. He's a little older, but uh, as far as 32, but I mean the guy knows how to score. So hey, see Italians. It's Italian soccer. You got to have an older Italian guy that rips 18 goals a season. Otherwise, you don't really I mean, have officially have a team. You're you're absolutely right. I mean, his name is Christian Altenaire and uh, you know my wife posted on my Instagram, and we had a lot of great. Uh, responses from the ladies he's a good looking guy uh, so um you know he's uh he was in Padua last year and he is just one of those guys that is in the box and has this knack to score you know what i mean like yeah he just is a grinder and he's in there and he finds a way to get get some space and just punches the balls in um so you know between him up front between carlini up front his name is masaliano carlini he's a he's a veteran guy um, between, uh, as I said, the midfield with Bob and Gail. And we're not done yet. We have a couple more moves to make. But, you know, we I got to be honest with you guys. I mean, this is this is doubling down for me. I mean, we, we're rolling the dice this year with this team. We, we feel we have a team that's going to hopefully go up automatically. We want to stay away from the playoff. The playoff, the playoff is a grind. But um, so I'm bullish on this team. I mean, you know, we there's no guarantees. And I got to be honest with you, this league is difficult. I mean, mm -hmm. the, yeah. the, even the, the teams that you don't think would give you a problem are the hardest teams. They're like gnats. They just grind it out against you. And especially if they want to play to impress you. So um, it's it's not easy. But, um, you know, again, we, we uh, we're excited about this club this year. I gotta give you fair warning, Mike. You used a swear word that we don't allow on the podcast. You said the L word, um, which us as Roma fans we don't <laughs> say on the podcast. You have to refer to them as OTFR, the other team from Rome, or Team Voldemort, or anything as disparaging. 
So uh, I, I won't say the P word if you don't say the L word moving forward. Um, so you, you, you've been talking about kind of what of an owner you are and, and being bullish. You know, for us, owners, they in all sports come in all forms. You know, you got the, the rich old family that's disengaged. They've owned the team forever. You got owner GMs like Jerry Jones. And you got you yeah. know, crazy owners in Italy like Zamperini and Palermo. Um, yeah. You know, what kind of an owner would you say you are? I mean, are you involved with the roster decisions, the acquisitions? Like, what, what, explain your role with the team as the owner. What kind of owner are you? That's a great question. Um, I'm definitely not as crazy as Zamperini. Um, <laughs> you, you haven't, you haven't threatened to eat any body parts on your, of, of your players? I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to put their, their, you know what, on my salad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I will say. But uh, he's got a team for sale if you want one. <laughs> if you want uh, another yes. one. Yes. <laughs> I've actually, you know, I, I I won't even touch that one. Because <laughs> him, I don't even think he knows what he wants for the team. But with that said, I, I know what he wants to do. He wants to fire his manager. I I will say, look, you know, a lot of people don't understand. You know, Palermo is the fourth largest market in Italy, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. And he's actually uh, he did some brilliant things there. I mean, he was from Venice. Actually, he owned Venice back in the late '90s and brought them up to Serie B. Uh, and then realized that uh, that Palermo was the deal that he wanted to, kind of like De Laurentiis did with Napoli, and the other gentleman I can't recall did with Florence, uh, with Fiorentina. Um, he saw value in Palermo. He knew it was undervalued. He knew it was it was not uh, it was not being run correctly. He made a speculative buy. He went down there and he did a great job with the club. Now, with that said, he's a very colorful, shall we say, guy. But um, let's just say he's crazy like a fox. I mean, mm-hmm. the Volpe, you know, he's not, uh, he's definitely not a, uh, he's definitely knows what he's doing. Um, so I will say um, I'm not in that realm. Look, I don't like to micromanage people. I read a, I wrote a great, uh, read a great book on leadership. I think you hire people to do their jobs. With that said, I want to learn. Um, I hired this amazing uh uh, sport director. He was in Alessandria last year and from Mantua. His name is uh, Giuseppe Mangalini. And um, we just hit it off right away. And he actually turned down a three-year deal with uh, Trapani to come coach for us or be our sport director because he's from Mantua and he's a little older and he didn't really want to go to Sicily um, at this point in his life. And so it was a win for us because He's from Mantova, which is only like 40 minutes away, so he's actually living at home and being our sport director, and we, we made a change. We had a first-year sport director last year, and that was a big mistake because um, you need someone in Italian soccer that has relationships and that can forge relationships uh, and has history, and it's it wasn't the smartest move for us. With that said, that's why we went in a different direction this year. But um, So, yeah, I mean, I don't like to micromanage – Guys, I mean, I have a great team. I have a good office. I do come in and try to be the guy in the cloud. And if they have issues, obviously they have to go to me. But but um, I believe leadership sometimes is is letting people um, figure out their own problems. As a, as someone with a Sicilian background, Mike, I would have loved to see you uh, with the Palermo stuff or Catania somewhere. But totally understand uh, you you going to Regina here. Well. I'll tell you, I looked at a couple of clubs in Sicily, and, um, you know, I think 
think obviously Palermo is, 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 it's an interesting thing. There was a great article. I can't remember which site it was on talking about how Sicilian soccer has, or Calcio has suffered a little bit the last yeah, few Yeah, it's on the Gentleman Ultra. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a very good, very good article. And it's true. I mean, you know, Messina, people keep forgetting Messina was in Serie A in 2006, 2007, and then went through a really bad, I mean, of all teams, Messina, no one really remembers and then they went through a very difficult bankruptcy. Catania obviously had a lot of issues. They were in Serie A, and then they went down. Um, I think one of the issues, I mean, obviously Zamperini is down in Serie B, but but he's building a team that looks like it's built to go back up um, because he obviously has a lot of revenue from from the parachute and, and because of he's been in Serie A for 10 years, so more or less. But um, I think the problem is, guys, is, you know, you look at England, you look at Italy, you know, they really have a problem with the stadiums. I mean, the stadiums are so old and antiquated. And, you know, aside from our stadium, which we lease, so we play pay a premium to play at Stadio My Pay, where the Swallow Pit plays. That stadium was actually built for us. So it's a little bit different than England, where a lot of these clubs have really nice stadiums and they're able to get some game day revenues. And I think Italy is just not in that thinking where these towns and these regions do not want to help these teams. And I don't blame them because a lot of these teams have had inconsistent, unreliable investors. So I get it in a way, but I think for really Italy, I mean, look what Juventus, okay? Juventus is the best team, one of the best teams in Europe, probably one of the best teams in the world. By far one of the best teams, if not the top two or three in Italy every year. And they get a stadium, and they knew it, and it's a it's a Premier League type stadium. So, I think that's one of the issues that Italy will have to slowly sort of address in the future. Yeah, as, as Roma fans, we are well aware of uh, the the stadium issues. Uh, we're, we're hoping uh, Famoso Stadio happens down in Rome. Yeah, he's going to have some issues there because you know the problem with Rome is if you find like one artifact, they'll shut the whole building site down for like two years. Yeah, because yeah. they'll uh, you know because <laughs> they'll find like a Roman bath or something. So no, they, I, uh, I swear this is Julius Caesar's toenail. We yeah. can't build a stadium yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I, I I tell you, I had some great discussions with Jim, and you know I respect him, but Rome is a very difficult place to uh, to, to to do business. It's a tough place to win. Um, I think uh, at the stadium will help definitely. Uh, I, I think it's important for Italian soccer as a whole for him to get that stadium. So I am pulling for him. Yeah, I mean, I lived in Rome for eight years, and I didn't own the local sports team, and I found it to be a bureaucratic nightmare. So I can't imagine what what he's doing. They they off they offered me OTFR for a cheese sandwich, and I said nah. Um, <laughs> Well, you know, I think uh, maybe we should get him over to the Vatican. Maybe Francesco yeah. can help. There you go. That's what's good. It's going gonna, gonna to need a lot of prayer. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> Mike, let, let's uh, go back to um, the, the ownership. Uh, we, we always yeah. hope uh, that ownership, they, you get into it for some level of passion for the sport. Just talking to you here for, for the, the 20 minutes or so, you can tell it's, it's gotten in your blood. I think that's why it got in our blood, too, starting Curve America. <laughs> Um, what's it like coming off like a Hall of Fame baseball career, totally different sport, you're a superstar, and you're a new new sports fan uh, with, with soccer here. What's what's it been yeah. like kind of coming to a new sport as a fan? Uh, a challenge in a way. I mean, other guys have done it. Um, I, I mean, look at Magic Johnson, obviously, he was involved in the Dodgers uh, with, with Stan Cashton and his group and, and – um, 
There's been other Nolan Ryan, I think, was involved with the Texas Rangers a little bit. I never, I kind of always wanted to reinvent myself. I mean, I'll always love baseball, but um, I just wanted to do something different. And this is definitely a challenge, I will say. Uh, so um, I just, you know, look, I, I just really love my Italian heritage. And I wanted to go back to Italy, and I wanted to see if I could sort of slowly change the business mentality over there. I love Italy. I mean, I, it's it's my wife has an amazing story. I mean, we were in the office every day for two months straight, and we were going through every line item on the budget. And there was a time we looked at each other, and she goes, "What?" She goes, "What the hell are we doing? We have to be out of our minds." <laughs> You know, the fans came in, uh, a fan group, and gave her flowers and gave me a bottle of grappa and said, you know, we love you guys. We trust you. You know, keep going. And she was like, you know, this is just a little little sort of sign from God, like, to just keep going. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. I mean, there's been times where I'm, like, looking at myself going, what, what am I doing? Because it, there's a lot of frustration because you're building, you're sort of dealing with people that have been, in these trenches, you know, for years and to shock that, to change that mentality, you know, like we had to change the office. We had to streamline the, the business and we let go of some people that really we needed in a way for like just little things like booking a hotel for the team, getting the buses, um, security at the stadium. And everyone was like, how are we going to do this? Guess what? We do it. You, you were still breathing. You know what I mean? Like, you just find a way to get it done. So to see these people, the way they are empowered and the way they love the team and realize that the only way we're going to grow is we kind of have to do um, addition through subtraction. <laughs> I call it financial engineering. They say, you know, um, We had to streamline the budget and put most of our money on the field. The only way we're going to get out of Serie G is we, we have to have a great team. And everything else in the business isn't worth anything unless you get to Serie B. So that's what we had to do. And to see the people slowly start believing in themselves is very rewarding. Well, I'm already putting in the champagne order for the end of the season. I'm, a, I'm allowed awesome. to be uh, overly optimistic. You're not. You mean Prosecco. What yeah, Prosecco, yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know, if we just do Grappa Barigata, I'm good all day long. Um, right. You know, I, I'm a huge lover of baseball. And like a lot of the American soccer fans of Calcio or just soccer in general, um, you know, I came to it as later in life and I, I, my first great love of sports was baseball. And what I love about baseball are, you know, things like the smell of the field, you know, the rituals you go to go through when you're playing to stay out of your own head, uh, the routines, the superstitions, and or just something as basic as the direct competition between the pitcher and the hitter as a former pro athlete and now a fan of soccer. What what are the most exciting parts about the game of soccer for you? Well, the, the most exciting parts for me are, are, are the biggest, like, heartbreaks in a way. Because, you know, the one thing that's amazing about soccer, if you think about this, soccer is the only sport on the planet, I think, that you could actually dominate your opponent and lose. Um and I've seen it where, you know, you, you, we, especially in for Italian example, soccer, you'll see that. Oh, it's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, we were playing this game. I'll never forget it. Uh, and I went up, I drove this three hour drive up to Bolsano to watch a team called Sutro. Um, we were, it was a big game for us and we were hanging around third and fourth place and we needed the three points. 
and we were playing this this team uh, Sutro, and they're it's a it's a very uh, you know it's a little team. It's not a huge town. It's up in the mountains, but the team is always very competitive. The region helps the team out a lot. Um, so the point is, the team wasn't bad, and we were dominating them. I mean, we hit three balls off the crossbar, right? And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, this this is crazy. I mean, we should have we should be three nothing. We punch a goal in the 60th minute, um, and it's in the 78th minute. Goes in the 82nd minute, and I start thinking to myself, oh, my God. I go, the only way we're going to lose this game is if we screw up. And no sooner than I thought about – or tie this game, I should say. No sooner than I thought this, um, their goalie did a, did a punt, you know, the punt uh, uh, sort of kick away. Our goalie came off his line, bobbled the ball, and they punched it in and tied the game, and we lost the two points. And I'm just sitting there thinking – you know, I, I can't believe it. I mean, here's a team that we absolutely physically dominated. Should have been 3 nothing. We should have closed them out after the 70th minute. Should have, the game should have been over. And we end up tying. And, and I just remember saying that frustration is the biggest challenge of the sport. So um, as much as that is it, I, where I was kind of suicidal after the game, I was like thinking, man, this is, this is the biggest challenge of this sport. Somebody else is going to have to drive. <laughs> yeah, totally. It was crazy. I said to myself, I go, please, don't anybody screw up. And next thing you know, the goalie comes off his line and ball bobbled. And bobbled. I just say, I go, this can't be happening. So, I mean, yeah, that's the thing about soccer. I mean, especially Italian soccer, because you, you see it. And, and I would so watch tactical. Come, it's crazy. I mean, it's amazing Italian but, soccer how they can stick to a game plan the way they do. Yeah, I mean, and you know, we we play four four two, and and we went the other day. We did we did five uh, in the back, and we just tried you know to defend, and and you know we, we it's tough sometimes because I got to tell you, it's funny you say that about um, as you said ownership. You know, when I played, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would watch me play and say, you know, how the heck could you swing at that pitch, or why did you do this, or why did you do that? When you're on the field and you got to make a decision in a split second. Obviously, it's a different story. And when I'm watching a game and I'm saying, you know, why did they do this? Why did they run that play? How can you bobble that ball? And things like that. Um, it's a different story. So, but, but you, you know, you see it as, as, as you said, it's, it's something in Italian soccer that is sort of very sort of, uh, it's a characteristic that the, all the games are always pretty crisp. I love the, the way that the, they control the ball in the midfield. I love the, the attacks. There's not a crazy amount of counters, but but for the most part, when it does and the field opens up later in the game and teams get tired, it's actually very exciting. Well, if you go up to Syria B next year and you play against Zemin, you'll see plenty of counterattacks. Uh, <laughs> your 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 words to God's ears, man. I'm telling you, if we, if, it could be uh, it would be a coup if we could get to Syria B. I would be so happy because not only for myself, obviously, but for the team. I mean, in the town. I mean, Reg Amelia is a town that really just loves their team, and um, it's been since 2000 they've been in Serie B, so I'm hoping uh, this is our year. All right, Mike, I'm going to change to some kind of quasi-soccer to baseball mm -hmm. and then just a couple of flat-out shameless baseball questions because I'm talking to Mike Piazza, and I'll never forgive myself if I don't ask you a couple baseball questions. But one, um, you know, baseball has all these unwritten rules that are actually pretty – in the forefront right now with kind of the younger generation coming into play, you know, let's make baseball fun again, et cetera. When you're watching soccer, uh, you know, through your eyes as a, as a former competitor in, in, a, in a sport that has unwritten rules, are there like unwritten rules 
within Calcio that you see that that, that people uh, follow? Uh, I don't know about the unwritten rules, but obviously when a player gets hurt, you know, when they play the ball out. Um, but I, I've always wondered, and maybe you could even explain this to me, like when a player goes down and he's kind of rolling on the field, why some teams keep playing and then why some teams will play the ball out right away. Is there like an unwritten rule there? I'm, I'm kind well, of. Well, yeah. The reason why some teams keep playing is because they play for OTFR and they're rats, um, <laughs> or, they, or they play for for the P team. No, I mean it's 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 just kind of the level of uh, I think an individual case by case basis that you know uh, uh, how competitive the game is at that point, particularly a team. You know how bad they need something, or if it's if one team's been diving all game and they're doing it to to prove a point. Um, yeah, it's just kind of a case by case basis. <laughs> um, but yeah, usually, usually, usually it's OTFR and they're cheating. So uh, baseball question: You get to come back yeah. to play in the major leagues right now for one series against a current team in their city. Who are you playing? Oh man! If I could come back and play a series, whether it's home or away, no, it's going to be away. You you get to pick the team in the city. I don't know. Maybe maybe the team is, uh, has a players a you want to play against a pitcher, a pitching staff you want to bat against, or maybe it's just like, hey, I want to get booed in Yankee Stadium again. Uh, that's a good question. I don't really know because for me, maybe to kind of play in the stadiums I never played in. So it would be. I never played in City Field. I think it would be cool to try to play there. I don't. I don't know how the ball travels there. I've never hit there. So as a Met, it would be interesting to kind of play at City Field. Um, there's uh, – what, what are other stadiums that really have opened since I've been gone? Um, I didn't play in the National Stadium. Um, I played at RFK. I actually liked hitting at RFK, so um, I don't know what the new one is like. We hated watching in RFK, so I'm glad you enjoyed hitting. That's the one With good that, thing I've heard of RFK. I, I said we hate, we hate watching in RFK, so I'm glad you enjoyed hitting. <laughs> I actually didn't mind hitting there for some reason. I don't know what it was. I saw the ball extremely well, but it's kind of like Montreal Olympic Stadium. I always hit the ball well there too. So I, I mean, it's weird. I don't really have a formula. Um, yeah, for me, I guess maybe to see those stadiums. Uh, the new Marlins Stadium was big. I never hit here as well. I felt like maybe. I mean, I hit pretty well in Miami, in Florida, at Joe Robbie or whatever it was called. Um, now it's called the uh, Hard Rock Stadium. I always hit pretty well there. So. The stadiums, I guess, I never played in. Would uh, I hate to be sort of general, but that's kind of maybe because you know I've been out of the game for a while now. Well, you, you, they're all wrong answers. The correct answer to that question was to go play in Wrigley and play against the World Series champion <laughs> Chicago Cubs. It, it, several generations of my family, and I'm the only one that saw that. I've played in Wrigley many times, so it was no offense against Wrigley, <laughs> but. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We'll, we'll switch it back to uh, soccer, Mike. This is the last question for me. So our, pro our, our project here with Curve America, we're focused on expanding American interest in Italian calcio. We know there's Serie A fans out there here in the States. The, the one that comes to mind, Kobe Bryant, we see wearing Milan jerseys. And you talk of your Italian-American heritage as a spark mm -hmm. uh, for your interest in, in your project. I definitely identify that with myself. So there's got to be an interest out there, uh, especially with Italian-Americans. How do you see interest in Italian soccer growing here in the U.S. in, in the future, uh, in the next couple of years? 
Well, again, as I mentioned earlier, I think the Italian, the general, the model has to change. And I think it has to become a little bit more organized in the same sort of model of the Premier League, of La Liga, of the Bundesliga. I mean, the Bundesliga has a national TV contract in the United States, and Serie A doesn't. I mean, obviously, BN Sports carries a couple of Serie A games on the weekends. <laughs> Real Madrid um, TV is what it was actually called. Yeah. BN no, Sports is Real, Madrid, yeah, it's Real Madrid TV. I, I think, uh, look, it's frustrating for me because I hope I didn't come in a little too soon. I hope the window for me wasn't too early. But I think it does have to change, and, and I think everything. I mean, I think the way they hand out the TV rights, I think the way, like, for example, I mean, you look at teams that have kind of limped into Serie A, I mean, like Carpi, like Crotoni, like Frosinone, like um, some of these other teams. Uh, I mean, look at this year, Benevento, Espal. I mean, I think those are amazing stories, uh, but – a lot of these stadiums are, are antiquated and, and really shouldn't be Serie A stadiums. And, and I think it's – you have better stadiums in the fourth league in England than you do in Italy. And I, I think there's something wrong with that. I mean, maybe you guys – I don't want to get on a tangent, Arvin, but I just think, um, you know, the, the, the leagues have to become better organized. And I think uh, – look, I think it's great. I mean, a team, that's – I mean, the reason – another reason why I bought the team was like I figured, you know, if a team like Carpi – can make it to Serie A. Why can't Reggiana make it to Serie A? I mean, I mean that logically would make sense. I don't know. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, and that's no put down on Carpi. I think they've done some really good things. They were in the playoff last year to go back up. Right. They lost to uh, they lost to uh, Benevento. I think it was uh, Benevento. Yeah, yeah. Benevento. So, um, you guys tell me. I mean, th- that's the thing. I think for Italian soccer to survive and thrive in this world. Um, I think the powers that be in the model have to get out of this sort of historically antiquated sort of business model and, and start thinking forward and figuring out what the best markets are and encouraging even the smaller markets to improve their facilities. And, and, um, and, and because I think you have the product is there and the fans are there. Uh, you just have to figure out a way how to sort of keep out these, these, um, these forces that sort of tear against the the fabric and i and i try to tell the people in italy and you know this as well as anybody i said to them look in in the united states it's the league that is strong not each team i mean yes like for us we're not going to ever be friends with parma we're not going to be friends with venice i go but the league has to be strong so i i think that's what has to change in italy i mean and i'm sure you guys would kind of attest to that yeah, I mean, the the days of people coming to the Serie A just because it's Serie A are over. They have to re, re, rewire their way of thinking and actually go out and get them and show them why the Serie A can, can be as great again. But I think they're, they're, they are taking steps towards that, and um, I, I see nothing but improvement. So hopefully your money's in good hands um, by, by yeah, investing in Reggiana. Well, true, and also, look, I mean, I still don't know the exact sort of parameters of the financial fair play. I mean, the two groups came in and bought Inter and then bought Milan, and they spent a lot of money, and I think Jim Pelota had a few quotes about this about a month ago. Correct me if I'm wrong. He did, yeah. Because 
And, and so I think there's a lot of confusion as to what the actual parameters of financial fair play are. Um, so it, unless, until you sort of understand, look, I mean, they have promotion relegation in England and it does very well. And I think, I hope eventually those sort of the good things that came out of that, the Premier League and the Championship League will come to Italy. Um, and, and, and I think in the next 10 to 12 years, 10 to 15 years, you're going to see some changes. So I'm very optimistic and I agree with you. Um, last question for me. Uh, I'm just curious. You know, you see Neymar get sold for 222 million, and you're seeing we just we just missed on him. I yeah, just, <laughs> no, they, I, they just outbid us a little. You know what? I was <laughs> signing the check that I was that that money I was going to loan you to get him, but you know, it just happened too fast. Um, I, I couldn't I couldn't find a mailbox quick enough. Um, you know, but even things like you know, there's players who are being sold for even double their worth below that, you know, as an owner, you're looking around and seeing some of these are getting, some of these fees are just hyperinflated. You know, what's, what's your, what's your thought on the hyperinflation of, of transfer fees these days? I think it's a very interesting, uh, uh, model, uh, because of the fact you'll see certain teams that are always sort of bidding for the top names in the sport, uh, Manchester United, um, Real Madrid, obviously Barcelona, obviously now PSG with the Qataris. Um, and I think it's interesting, but I think you do have to have, if you're in my realm or you have my sort of model, you have to have a discipline. Um, and I think your fans will understand that um, for us to succeed, obviously we can be in that mind frame. Now, with that said, that doesn't mean we can't be in the market for some very competitive players. A team that comes to mind, which always exhibits a certain amount of market discipline, is Arsenal to me. Um, that's probably Arsenal is one of the biggest teams in the world, but and and I'm sure their fans will sort of disagree. They always seem to sort of put a team out that's very competitive, but they're not really all they're not in the market for these sort of huge, huge names. And uh, with that said, it's one of the best teams in the world, one of the most profitable teams in the world so i think teams kind of will always be willing to want to make a splash on the world stage to get attention and sell tickets merchandise and, and obviously tv revenue and in europe obviously the champions league is a very huge thing so these top clubs of europe will always be trying to sort of jump to the champions league model um and so uh i look i think it's good for the sport and bad for the sport at the same time. I think it's good for the sport that it creates a lot of hype and interest from fans that not necessarily will follow the sport, but on the same note, it does create a really difficult situation for the smaller teams in each league to compete. And that's one of those things that I think the smaller teams, if you have a discipline, will, will find a way to survive. Um, yeah, and uh, you have Alexi Sanchez at Arsenal. You mentioned them, and he came from where? The Serie A. So it's yeah. good, good scouting uh, definitely always helps. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, I didn't mean it wasn't a put-down on Arsenal, but it just seems to me that they're never it, – it, probably that team could always be in the, the top, you know, sort of hunt like for like Manchester United, I mean, with Progba, and, um, you know, they just bought Lukaku from Everton. So – um, you know, look, I mean, I, 
I think it's interesting because those, these teams are always looking for that one piece. They're, everyone's looking for that Messi or someone that's going to be able to really put them at the, the top flight of Europe. Um, so it's uh, it's a delicate dance. But if these teams have the revenue and they don't mind spending it, um, you know they're they're going to keep doing it because it's a. Comp- I mean, you're competing. It's it's kind of like can you imagine having five leagues of Major League Baseball? Yeah, and you right. have five New York Yankees competing for one guy and everyone in the, the world market. worships baseball yeah. it's crazy yeah. it's like you i mean you have i'm sure you have the top i mean and teams years ago i mean you you never hear of i mean you hear like the german teams obviously always do well financially because they're very well organized they have great stadiums they have great sponsors they got a lot of help from from other sources but uh you know you don't see a lot of the top top players in the world signing in Germany. Yeah, they have great players, but it's it's an interesting model. I mean, and so they have a certain discipline, and that's why they do very well. Yeah, I guess if I'm going into a transfer window, it's going to help me if I'm handicapped that my team is state sponsored by a team by a country that's built on all of the natural gas in the world, in <laughs> um, being Qatar. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's true. <laughs> we, we, hey, hey, come to Red John. We have we have the best uh, we have the best spread in the in the, uh, yeah. the sponsors table. Yeah. I guarantee you. Great selling point. We may not win every week, but we always eat the best. There you go. <laughs> and we have tons of pork. <laughs> Mike, this has been a real treat for us and all the Curve Americans out there. We really appreciate you taking the time. We definitely want to wish you and Rajana best of luck for 27, 2018. Uh, looking forward to seeing you guys in Syria soon. Okay, Forza Granata. Grazie. Ci vediamo presto. Auguri. Auguri. <laughs>